Welcome to the Greg Bennett Show. I'm your host, Greg Bennett. And this was one of the most outstanding conversations I've had on the show. To bring together all the female Olympic champions from 2008 all the way through to 2021, all on the one show together. It was recorded back in September, October of 2021. I'm bringing it back for any of you that have missed it or would like to listen to it again. Uh, Sometimes you go to podcasts and, and maybe you're new to the Greg Bennett Show. I just want to make sure that you don't miss this episode. Um, So I've brought it back out for this week's and you can listen to all of these women are good friends of mine. They're remarkable people. But Emma Snowsill and her story and journey of winning the 2008 Beijing Olympic Games. Nicholas Spirig winning the 2012 London Olympic Games. Gwen Jorgensen winning the 2016 Rio Olympic Games. And of course, Flora Duffy winning the 2021 Olympic Games. And, and what I love about this show is just how much they, they share what the experience was actually like on race day, but also what it's been like since becoming Olympic champion and how much it shaped their life. And um, just so many great lessons in here for all of us. They all speak so well. I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. All right. Well, this is a treat and such a privilege. It's taken several months, but we are finally here. And I'm so excited about this episode. You see, I've always pondered what it takes to win on that special day, that one day that every Olympic athlete aspires to. I've wondered what it must feel like crossing that finishing line, knowing that you are the Olympic champion. And how does that heavy medal feel and affect the rest of your life? Well, Today, we'll get some of those answers because today I have the past four women Olympic triathlon gold medalists on the show, four gold and one silver between the four of them. These women I've trained with, I've been at races with, they've all conquered the world and they've been heroes to their respective countries. All of them I truly admire and would call good friends. All but one have been on the show and you can find their past podcasts on your podcast app of choice, but never have they all been together on the one show? And I'm feeling very honoured that they have all agreed to come on and amazed that we were able to coordinate times from all the corners of the world. So welcome and thanks for joining me on The Greg Bennett Show. Emma Fredino, formerly formerly Snowsill, Nicholas Berry, Gwen Jorgensen and Flora Duffy. How are you all? (laughs) Very good. Nice Nice to chat to you, DB. Great to see you, Emma. All right, everybody. Thanks again for coming on. Today, I want to discuss your Olympic experiences and the impact of the gold medal on your respective lives. But right now, I'm actually going to crack a beer to celebrate the fact that we have you all here. (laughs) So thanks to Athletic (laughs) Brewing for the upside dawn golden ale. We are here. We are all made it. You uh, Look, I got the four um, Olympic male champions a while ago, and that was, took about a week of going backwards and forwards. But all of you. And that wasn't an hour. No, and that wasn't an hour. And look, we can go on further. I have had some recommendations that somebody might have to go. I realize that some of you have kids and have to pick them up and all sorts of things. Um, and I feel like the guys that I had on also just passed the buck with their kids. So you guys are, <laughs> I know I'm taking some of your special time. 
Um, for listeners, we are recording on Zoom today, so the audio might be just a little bit off, a little bit tinny, but I think it was worth it to make this happen. Um, and I want to do a brief summary before we get going of the combined resumes that we have on this call. Four Olympic golds and one silver, eight ITU world titles and three silvers, two Commonwealth Games golds, six European titles, five Xterra world titles, and two ITU cross world titles. Truly unbelievable what you've all been able to achieve. Um, and now because of the nature of this recording, I'm going to throw to each of you individually, so we're not going to talk over each other too much. If it happens, that's fine, but just a little bit. But I want to get going. So let's start. So to start, I want to just have each of you tell me where you are in the world and what are you up to? So Emma, I'll start with you. Um, Girona, Spain. Um, the sun is not long set and uh, have raced home. And uh, yeah, it's um, pretty much getting time for the kids to get into bed. And um, yeah, it's been a busy day at the cafe in La Comuna. And we've come from a community ride this evening. Um, and yeah, learning learning different side of business, different side of life. And um, it's, uh, what would you say, challenging to say the least. <laughs> and and you, you're keeping fit. I saw you were doing some, um, you did some long, was it a long run you did the other day or what was that? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm up, I, I try to keep fit for adventure. And uh, there was a, a unique experience to run uh, a big part of the Camino de Santiago. And um, obviously it's fairly infamous and I thought, well, I'm probably never going to walk it. And um, the idea of running it and uh, with a team of some, some local trail runners and stuff, um, yeah, we we put a team together. It was uh, an event hosted by Red Bull and it was super cool, super fun. And, um, yeah, for me that's really all it's about is mm. when, when there's something fun like that, um, to see a different part of the world, different part of the country at this point. Um, and yeah, just, just feel fit enough to, you know, enjoy the experience and see it from, you know, a, a different perspective. And I think there's no better way to do it than, you know, if you can do it on two wheels or, uh, by two feet. I'm with you. It's all about fun now, but Nicholas Spirig, over to you. Now, you're the one that haven't come, hasn't come on the show yet, and I've been on you for about a year and a half. We are going to make it happen at some point, right? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, yes, we are going to make it happen. <laughs> um, life is just really busy, you know me, but uh, Greg, I'm, I'm here at home at the moment, uh, which is near Zurich um, with my three kids. Two of them are hopefully already sleeping, so that's good. And I'm still training, still having a big project uh, in sports, but I'm also quite busy at the moment with uh, our foundation and having had like six kids races in a row uh, just uh, four weeks ago. So yeah, life is really busy, but I'm happy. Uh, it's amazing just watching you on social media. You're, you're putting on this incredible series of kids races throughout Switzerland. You've got three kids of your own. You're still racing at the highest level and, and hoping to, uh, are you still doing that breaking eight hours or something? Is that happening? Or? <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to, yes. <laughs> <laughs> of course you are. And uh, I, I just find what you've got going on just amazing. You're all so busy. Um, it makes me feel tired just thinking about it. Um, but thanks for coming on, Nicola. I'm looking forward to when we have your individual podcast as well. And Gwen, you're just around the corner from me. We're in Boulder here and we're not too terribly far. Have you settled in and what's going on in your world? 
Yeah, we're getting settled in. Like you said, we just moved to Boulder September 1st, and we've been in two different rentals so far. So we're kind of just hopping around town, not really settled in like a place, but we feel settled like this is home. Well, just because we don't have another home, but it's it's been really good. I've actually been, um, Flora's been gracious enough to show me around a little bit, and I've been going on some long runs with her, but Stanley, uh, our son has started an outdoor school. He loves that. He uh, actually this morning, he loves riding his bike to school. And this morning though, we were very late. We are about two and a half, three K away from school. And he decided he wanted to run barefoot to school. And we left at the same time. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, we're going to be so late. And the kid just, he hammered. And I'm like, I feel like we're torturing him, but he's the one that wants to do it. But anyway, we're really, I feel like we're fitting into the Boulder culture here. And um, yeah, I just switched coaches and I'm running with Bobby McGee here in Boulder, which has been really exciting and fun. Oh, I love Bobby. You couldn't get a better man. Um, Bobby and I could geek out and talk running for hours and hours and hours and Certainly someone like Laura would be just rolling her eyes as, as we just chat. But he he's a phenomenal guy. And it's it's so great that you guys have, you know, come to the Boulder scene. Um, and, and I hope you can, you know, settle in and find a place that, get, you know, get comfortable. But I know we do the same thing with our kids too, by the way. We always feel like, are we torturing them? But they kind of want to just keep doing this. So it's so weird, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and Flora, you've just gotten back from Crest of Butte. You're, you've got... Uh, Abu Dhabi um, World Series race you're training for. How's it all going? Hey, Gray. Yeah, I'm also here in Boulder. And um, like the other three, life is yeah busy and moving pretty fast these days. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to find routine again, get into some training. It's still, it seems so weird that um, I'm still racing, um, even, you know, after the Olympics and the 2021 World Series wrapped up. And here we are, Um going again, pushing through to Abu Dhabi, but, um, yeah, I'm enjoying it. And, uh, everything definitely feels, um, you know, a little bit more relaxed and less pressure and just kind of enjoying being able to train and race and, um, yeah, just being in Boulder. And like Gwen said, we've done some runs together, which has been really nice to reconnect. And, um, I can, you know, keep up with her now as she's like, building back up and I'm mm. at pretty good fitness. So that works well. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I, you've, you have been busy. And again, I, I watch you all on social media. So I'm always like, wow. Um, I love the fact that did in Bermuda, they name a street after you, a hill climb or something. Did I see that the other day? They did. Yes. So <laughs> it's this pretty famous hill in Bermuda called Corkscrew Hill. And in the, when the WTCS race was there, we went up it 10 times. Um, and so obviously, I guess from my 2018 race, they thought that would be a nice hill to rename, um, which is pretty cool. And yeah, I'm going home for the first time since Tokyo on Monday. Oh. And yeah, it's it's going to be crazy. I mean, in the best sort of way, but um, I'm definitely preparing myself. Like I've already seen a video or and photos of like this massive photo of me on a side of a building, like smiling with my medal and... Yeah, it's going to be wild. Oh, that's so cool. Well, all four of you can share those kind of stories. And that's kind of what this show is about, is is that Olympic gold and the impact on your life and the people around you. And 
and the countries that you all represent and how it's affected you. Um, obviously, Flora, you're the most recent, um, and, and I think that's exciting for you. What I want to do now is ask a, a question that's kind of specific to each of your Olympic Games that you went through. Um, Nicola, you've done so many Olympic Games. I'm going to start with you. Um, I wanted The question I have is that that mindset that you had specifically the two weeks probably leading into the games and and just get an idea of how that changed leading into the race. Um, now, we can probably talk about your 2012 Olympics or we could talk about your, your Silver de Gwen in 2016 or all the other Olympics, but maybe even you could just give us an idea of how that's even changed and what that process has been like that final couple of weeks leading into the Olympic Games. Um, yeah, it's a difficult question if you, if you ask for all the five Olympic Games because it was... <laughs> That's true. I'm sorry. Let's focus on 2012, the the, the win. (laughs) Okay. 2012 was basically the only preparation which went really well. Like I was amazed, like there was no injury. There was, I had an amazing uh, squad around me, um, Brad coaching me, everything went to plan. And he even sent me, well, two weeks before the Olympic Games, like 13 days beforehand, he sent me to a half Ironman um, <laughs> race day. And later he said, well, that was only to kind of slow me down in the way um, I couldn't train as much around that race and wouldn't like do too much. So that was his plan by sending me to, to a half Ironman because I had to drive like six hours there and back. back. So, um, yeah, it was all going really well and to plan and I was extremely happy. Um, was writing a letter actually just before the games to my team, to my teammates and, and my coach, just saying that the whole time, the preparation, the leading up to the games was, was so amazing that I was already happy before the games. Like no matter how it would turn out, I was thanking them and saying that that was one of the best times of my life. So extremely happy of course I got a bit nervous um, actually really getting close to the race but that's normal and I didn't feel so good just the day before the race I had some cramps and uh, wasn't sure about if it's going to be the best day Mm. I I did have some problems in the race afterwards but obviously I'm not complaining after winning the gold medal day so (laughs) it was it was a really good preparation I, I love the um, the mindset you, that you have where where you can go into a major competition and go, whatever happens, happens, but I've enjoyed the process, you know, and it yeah, always takes exactly. that pressure off a little bit because it's all, you've already been rewarded to some degree. Definitely, yes. That was, that was me in 2012. I was really, I was so thankful about the time beforehand and the, like all those teammates who really helped me. Like sometimes I had six pacemakers on the track and it was just... Mm. just amazing to me to to have that team spirit and and that help yeah i love the uh, the the concept of team Uh, a lot of what i do on the show is we talk about the teams that you all have around you and and basically it's very hard to achieve anything without a great team around you um gwen i want to move on to you the same kind of question um 2016 the pressure you had on yourself because you've been undefeated for the two years was it undefeated two years leading in i think it was so i'm really curious i lost a I think I lost the two races or two races that year leading into the Oh, Olympics. you did. You did. That's right. I'm sorry. I should always remember the ones that you've lost. Yes. <laughs> but anyway, you tell me about those, those two weeks going into Rio. 
Yeah. You know, I actually was talking to Flora about this on a long run the other day, just about how she actually took a lot of pressure off of me going into the games. Um, I felt like I had, you know, I was the person that was always interviewed and asking questions and when's your winning streak going to end and all these things. And, um, but like right before the Olympics, um, she started to, I think like switch up the game a little bit and you had to be stronger on the bike. So I think some of the pressure started to be on some other people. Um, I still had outside sources asking me questions and wanting to be interviewed and all that sort of thing like normal. But I think some other people were starting to join the mix as well. Like who can Mm -hmm. beat Gwen? And for me leading into the race, I, you know, I I was getting a little nervous, but honestly, I think I, I was so at peace at that race. And looking back, I think it was such an anomaly. I've never had that sort of feeling before where I, I remember waking up on race day and just thinking, well, I've done everything I can to perform my best and whatever it's going to be, it's going to be. And previous to that in races, I, you know, in 2012, I got a flat. So like I was super nervous, um, in the qualifying race that for the 2016 Olympics that I was going to get a flat or something mechanically would go wrong that I couldn't control. And Mm -hmm. Yeah, just the day of the race and even the day before the race, I just remember being really at peace and Mm. yeah, just felt like I had done everything I could and it was my time to go out there and um, basically celebrate all the work I'd done. I love that. It's kind of having those couple of races, having that winning streak just helped take that little bit of pressure off. Um, And then it's much like Nicola, you, you, it's almost like you guys were in this place where you were happy either way. Like, yes, you definitely yep. wanted the win, but because you'd m- managed to get yourself into that place where you're at peace and and you could just go enjoy the race, you were able to optimize your performance. I love that. Yeah. All right. Good place to be. Yeah, it is a good place to be. <laughs> it's hard to get there, but it's great when you are. <laughs> All right, Flora, you are the most recent. Um, and so this is pretty fresh for you. Um, the two weeks leading into Tokyo, um, tell me a little bit about that. It was a little bit different for you, um, with some of the restrictions and things. So how were you able to manage that? Yeah. I mean, I guess my build into Tokyo, well, of course, Nicola's as well, because she was also racing and, uh, you know, dealing with all of the COVID restrictions, uncertainty, is the Olympics going to happen? Is it not? What's it going to be like when you get there? How much accessibility will you have? Then you're worried about, oh my gosh, I hope I don't, um, um, you know, have like a contact tracing positive or, you know, just something like that, that could just take you out of the race. Like that's the craziest thing when you heard people test positive and had no symptoms, but that was it. Their games were done. Mm. Um, so there's definitely, yeah, a lot to navigate on top of being one of the favorites, but yeah, very similar to, to, to sort of how Gwen talks about her build and Nicola's in 2012. I also just had, well, the year was very up and down, but the final seven to eight weeks were pretty much perfect. Mm. And I brought in two friends to train with me, Chelsea Burns and Joanna Brown. Joanna was also racing in Tokyo and yeah, the three of us, it's just crazy to look back on it, just how we knocked out sessions day in and day out. And um, they were so beneficial to me in, in, of course, having friends to train with, but also to diffuse any sort of tension. Um, and I think they could really pick up when I was feeling a bit more tense or getting a bit nervous or anxious and 
just could calm me down and just kept it fun. And yeah, I look back on it and it was, yeah, some of the best training weeks I've had and some of the happiest training, training yeah, I, time as well, which is pretty cool leading into such a massive event. I mean, again, it comes back to having that awesome team around you and, and like the teammates and Nicola, you were much the same, having those, those friends that are all trying to help you achieve your goal. And they're all, yes, they have goals of their own, but at the same time, they're, they're really surrounding around you knowing that there is really something special here. You know, the, the, this, this, I'm going to be a part of a really great journey here. And, and Flora, your, your teammates just to have a bit of fun with, I remember seeing you guys all at pool deck and you're laughing and there was this real joy about the journey. And, you know, that's what it looked like anyway, from, from afar. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. That was pretty funny how we would see you nearly every day at the pool. You were heading to the kids area with your kids and Laura, and we were jumping in the 50 meter to knock out a session. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was definitely pretty special times. And I suppose I, I can remember one particular session about 10 days out. It was a multiple brick session. So bike run four times through with, with rest in between. And, uh, it's been known as the brick of destiny. Chelsea named it that. <laughs> that was kind of the moment I allowed myself to be like, whoa, like I have, like I have the form and the fitness to do it. And though and Chelsea and Joe, they were definitely, and Dan were like, oh my gosh, this is gonna like, she has like a real chance. This is gonna happen. Yeah. And so they were like, all right, done, bubble tape you up. And just don't do anything silly between now and the games. And um, yeah, that's like a pretty cool memory to like think back back on now. I love it. I love these memories. E Emma, okay, 2008. Um, the pressure's on because Australia hasn't got a gold medal yet. Uh, you're coming in much the same kind of form as, as Gwen had. You, you'd won a lot the years previous. But those final couple of weeks, what were they like for you? Yeah, they were, they were pretty interesting in some way. And, I mean, there's so much similarity between what, you know, the other three girls have said. Um, but the way I got there to that feeling of peace and um, somewhat the least nervous I've ever been that I was nervous for not being nervous um, was was about, well, pretty much with our preparation, we were really lucky heading straight up to, the, to Beijing. Um, same time zone and I'd sort of, was really happy with my training and was, you know, somewhat, you know, you have your plan and you know exactly the sessions you want to tick off and those sessions where they're going really, really well. But but it was literally like two weeks out from the games and I was so lucky to be, you know, pretty much training from home, from the Gold Coast. And and my, you know, my sounding board was Dennis Cottrell, who was uh, Australia's best 1,500-metre swim coach. And he, he, you know, he knew triathlon per se, but... He was the person that I was always, you know, um, going to, always talking to when, you know, I was having myself doubts and just with my sounding board. And, and I pretty much two weeks out had just, I'd gone over the edge. I'd, I'd, I'd basically, I guess, peaked too early. And I was just in this hole and I just broke down and tears because I was so upset that I wasn't getting, you know, my you know, second last Wednesday swim session that I knew what was what it needed to be and, you know, all that sort of mental, you know, chatter that goes on in your head. Mm. And 
And I was fortunate that I had him and, and he said to me as well, he's like, well, you know, really there's only two options here and it's you can push through it and I know you can and that's, it's, that's something, you know, maybe any other time you would maybe not consider it or you're not going to race because you've just overdone it completely. And, and that was something that I really recalled from my days with Brett about being, you know, better to be 10% underdone than 1% overdone. Mm. And I really, really struggled with him telling me to get out of the pool and go home and rest. And mm. in the, my whole career with him, I'd never been told that. And I really, really couldn't get my head around it, but I thought, you know what, this guy's coached um, Olympic champions in the pool. He knows how to read people. He's been very good at reading me and I'm just going to have to trust him. But it didn't last the day and I managed <laughs> to go out for a little run on the Gold Coast and just my standard, you know, casual run that we do as a recovery run and along the beach. And I just, honestly, I remember looking out at the ocean and looking around and thinking, you know what? It's just, it's, it's, it's an Olympic Games and I'm going to come back in a week and a half time, whether I have a gold medal around my neck, whether it's a bronze or silver or no medal, nothing's going to change. Everyone's going to be here. I'm still going to have a house, a roof over my head. I'm still going to have a family that loves me. And realistically, in the grand scheme of things, and I just remember this weight like lifting off me. And I realized that as much as I didn't think I was putting pressure on myself, of course I was. And all those external pressures and things like, like you mentioned, of Australia, you know, had won a medal, but. I started using it to my advantage and thinking I'm so lucky that I am an Australian. We have such a strong history. We have such a strong um, female history in particular. And, and if anything, um, it just became this, yeah, this inner peace and this, this feeling of like, wow, I am so lucky. I do not know and if I'll ever get to come back. I never know if I'll get to go to another Games and I have to enjoy this experience. And I just remember being so much more relaxed than I ever have and, and again, just being in a happy place and, and enjoying it and getting to the village and, and witnessing how nervous everyone else was and <laughs> how I could sort of step away from it and look at it as like, you know, this is just another race. This is triathlon. This is... I know what to do. I love what I do and that's all I have to do. And honestly, like the last thought when I was on that pontoon looking out at the first swim boy was like, wow, this is pretty cool. Let's just go have fun. And it was honestly like one of the most bizarre experiences per se, you know, in terms of nervousness and, and feeling at peace going into such a major race. So, yeah, mm. very similar theme, I think, um, for all of us. Mm, I love that. You've painted a really good picture. I love the self-talk that you've had to do and, and, and how with that self-talk you've been able to ground yourself and take yourself to a more neutral place. I think, uh, <clears throat> and talking about those tapers, I was a bit like you. I often, two weeks out from a major competition, would just say, all right, Laura, you take over the whole taper. And it was a hard thing for me to do to let go. But And she would say things like, you know, you had Dennis Cottrell get you out of the water. Laura would be like, okay, you're just doing a one-time mm -hmm. swim. You're doing a one case swim. I'm like, what? That's a waste of time. What? what? You know, I've got to be doing 4K today. And uh, and I got to the point, I just started trusting her because she lived with me, knew me, and, and could see my energy. And uh, it's nice when you have that kind of a support structure around it. Um, and Dennis Cottrell, yeah, he, he's, geez, he's been around the block. He's seen some great Olympic champions. So a great guy to have in your corner. 
I want to get into more specifics of your races. Um, and this next question is really kind of just an idea of the mindset you had of when did you feel like you had it won? Now, Nicola, I'm going to do you last, um, but <laughs> when did you have it won is going to be an interesting one for you because we're looking at a split second there. Um, but Gwen, I, because I'm rotating through these, Gwen, I'm going to start with you and, and ask you, when did you feel like you had it won? And Nicola, you're a part of this one, I guess, to some degree as well, because you guys were running head to head. <laughs> but I'll leave it with you, Gwen. <laughs> when, when did I know that I had it lost? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, for me, I honestly thought Nicola was right with me. And I remember it, I, I, it, we were running, I was running down this finishing shoot and I looked back and I was like, I don't see her. And that was probably the moment. But I just remember, I mean, we, you know, I think our, that 2016 battle with Nicola was uh, highly talked about because, you know, we slowed down, we talked to each other <laughs> and, yes. you know, she put in a surge, I put in a surge and I thought she was right on me the entire time. And I just remember thinking like, don't look back, just look forward, just get to the finish line, do what you know how to do. And yeah, I came down that finishing straight and looked back and I was like, oh boy, uh, I think I'm going to win it. <laughs> that was, has been talked about a lot because we're all watching at it, screaming at the TV. Um, and Nicola, I guess you can chime in on this one because it was a fun race to watch. Was there a headwind? Was it tactical? Who's going to lead into the wind? Or is it just, I don't want to lead. I want to run from behind. What was, what was going through both of your heads at that point? You can kind of both chime in on that side question. I can go um, first. I... I just, I wanted to read Nicola and I wanted to read like, what's her body language? Is she tiring? What's going on? And so I wanted her to go in front just so I could get a read on her. Mm -hmm. And Nicola? Yeah, I, I just wanted to stay with Gwen uh, in the beginning. And um, because everyone knew, I think when you, you hadn't lost the race, like since four years when you were in the first pack, like getting off the bike in the first pack. So I knew there had to be something special, special tactics, whatever, getting you out of the rhythm or anything special that you wouldn't win. So mm, I tried mm. to stay with you. I was suffering a lot <laughs> uh, for the first half, but I thought, well, at least the other ones are gone or a little bit back behind. So that's, a, that's at least a silver medal if I'm lucky. And then you let me go in front. I was like, oh, she has never done that before. So... <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> and I was leading, but we got back to the headwind. Um, and I knew if I would continue to lead, then I would have no chance if you would um, attack in the, in the tailwind again. So, yeah, I started, started to talk to you. So first that you would go in front again and second to get, try and get you out of the rhythm. Someone held a sh uh, showed us that we had like 25 seconds lead. So I thought, okay, I can, I can probably waste 10 seconds to talk to her and then I, I have to run again. So that was my, just my trying to get you out of the rhythm. <laughs> <laughs> that, that yeah. Is so great. It was a, it was an epic moment. It was something that I think was never done before and probably will never be done again. But it was like in that actual moment, I, I, I don't know, the whole race, I just had fun that whole race. I just felt like we were just playing a game and that's what sports are, right? They're games. Mm, so mm, for mm. me, um, yeah, Nicola was trying to get in my head. And for me, I was just like, this is awesome. This is a game. I'm going to mm. win it. <laughs> uh, 
I love both parts of that. I love that it was a game for you, Gwen, and you were in a really happy, enjoyable place. And Nicola, you're kind of going, well, how do I beat somebody that hasn't been beaten in four years when they've come out, you know, been in the first pack in the swim? And so I was like, well, maybe I'll try breaking up the rhythm. I just, great champions, both of you. And it really was uh, an exciting race. Um, Flora, I'm going to move on to you next. Uh, most recent, when did you feel like it? you had it won? Because you really look like you had control of that race very early on once you got on the run, but even when you probably looked around who was in your pack on the bike. Yeah, well, I must have learned something from Gwen and Nicola's um, tactical battle in Rio and was like, nope, I don't want to that. <laughs> so on the run, I just knew I had to take it out hard and I could back my fitness and um, yeah, kind of just went from there. Um, the one thing that maybe worried me a tiny bit was it was a very overcast day in Tokyo. I mean, completely different weather conditions than what we were expecting. Um, I can remember actually, it was supposed to be, you know, hot, humid, sunny, just a summer day in Tokyo. And then this tropical storm was passing. So it was windy, rainy, overcast, much, much cooler than expected. And instead of trying to stay cool before the race, I was trying to stay warm, like with jackets and towels and shoes. And like, I wore all of that out onto the pontoon and with a minute to go, took it off because mm -hmm. I didn't want to get cold because I knew if I got cold, that was not going to work out well for me. Um, and I think if, you know, looking at women's IT racing now, like the swim is so crucial, particularly at an Olympics with a smaller field, um, you have someone like Jessica Lermontfair, who's an absolute motor in the water. And so for me, I was, that was my biggest fear of the race. I was like, I have to make that front swim group. Mm. And, um, I just knew that was going to set the race up because obviously Nicola was in the race and I knew she would be coming, be pushing from that second group. Um, well, of course, unless <laughs> not the front, front group, but mm -hmm. anyway, no, we knew it, we know how it worked out. So um, you know, I just knew that was such a crucial moment. And then, um, you know, as we got out into the bike and I saw, you know, after the lap, first lap or two, saw who was in my group and I was like, oh, this is so perfect because Jess, Katie, Georgia, myself, we're all strong riders. We all, once we're in a front group, like we don't need to be told you need to take a pull. Like we just do it and just can execute. And especially in those wet, very technical course, um, those are wheels I can follow and, um, just knew like, okay, this is setting up to be a good day. Just stay on your bike. Do not do something stupid and crash. And it had to be like the most focused I've ever been, um, in a race. And I can like look back at photos of my face and be like, wow, like I was in the zone that day. Mm. And, um, then yeah, getting out onto the run, I got yeah, back to my running. I didn't know Georgia had had a flat with about a K and a half to go. So we got to the first U-turn. I thought, oh, that's a bit strange to see Georgia so far back. Um, and then learned after the race what had happened. But yeah, I, I just took it out fast, felt great, was confident in my running. Dan actually told me the morning of the race, I don't know why, and then shouted it to me in the race to run 33.10. And I was like, is this guy crazy? Like I'm leading the Olympic and now he wants me to run 3310. <laughs> anyway, in hindsight, he, he told me he did that to distract me, you know, to get my mind off anything than thinking about, oh my goodness, I'm leading the Olympics and I have nine more Ks 
to like mentally handle this. Mm -hmm. So I just started thinking about any sort of biomechanical cues that I have um, for the last little bit, just counting how many water stops I had left, just trying to stay as focused as I could on executing a great 10K, but not thinking about, I'm going to win this race. Mm. Um, because you know, every time you run through transition, you can see the big screen and the splits will come up. And I remember after 5K, I'd run all the way through transition and no one else had come through. So that was kind of like the first moment I was like, oh my goodness, as long as you don't do anything silly, like you're going to win. Mm. Um, and then with like about 800 meters to go, I ran by Dan, who was in the coaching zone and let out my first smile and then sort of tried to, I don't know, soak it all in, but also be like, I want this 10K to end because I want just this race to be done. Because it's just such a strange mix of, of feelings um, and emotions. And mm. yeah, and then I won and... That was that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I mean, it's one of those things like you you start to believe more and more and more, but you don't want to let yourself get too far ahead of yourself because anything can happen. And uh, and that would exactly. be just an awful, awful experience to be celebrating too much too soon. Um, and, and then Emma, you, you had a similar kind of race to Flora in the sense that you kind of got off the bike and charged to the front um, and really led the, you know, for the rest of that run. So Emma, take it, take us through, when did you feel like you had it won? Oh, just when you said that about like, uh, about letting your mind go, I distinctly remember um, the very last turn into the finish straight. Um, and there was, uh, there, there was someone in the crowd with an Australian flag uh, quite far out. It's just off that turn. And, and that straight was pretty long. But I really recall at that moment being like, do not like relax, do not let go, do not, because I just felt like the adrenaline and the, yeah, the, the pressure was there for sure. But I just felt that I couldn't let go until I had the tape in my hands. Um, mm. But it, I guess I'm working backwards from the race because from the run in particular, because it was a bit the same by the time I got off the bike, I was a bit like Flora, like just, stay upright, don't do anything stupid, keep safe, cover attacks. Uh, Nicola, that was you. <laughs> oh, I remember you and Nicola, you have a, She has a hand in every, every one yeah. of these, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just remember just being like, just keep an eye on those Swiss girls. They are just so fast on the bike. And, and just being one of those things like, yeah, just don't take any unnecessary risk on the bike um, in terms of, you know, um, corners and, and just all that sort of stuff being like, you know, it's that place where you're always happy to get off the bike and just be like, okay, great. And then I think for me, the run, I just was like, oh my gosh, we're down to the last leg. Like just run like you've got nothing to lose. Like just run and, and see what happens. And uh, I think the only moment I became a little unstuck was when they uh, were moving the water across the course and they had one of the, like those barricades, those sort of like cardboard barricades that they were putting basically across the course, which was to divide the course uh, in front of me as they were getting water. And I guess they just weren't prepared or didn't realize I was coming. And I ended up having to hurdle um, this barricade. And it really threw me because, yeah, it was really like one of those like, okay, what the heck just happened there? Second of all, 
I just hurdled and I can't hurdle. Thirdly, okay, <laughs> am I going to get disqualified for going off course here? And I was like, I'll discuss that later when we get to the finish line if they want to yeah. say anything about yeah. it. Just keep running. And it was the only time where I feel like I stepped out of myself and had this irrational self-talk other than my mantras of just, you know, telling myself, okay, breathe, breathe, relax, turn over, you know, all my mental cues. Um, and sort of once I got that adrenaline, you know, back down and, and continued on, it was really that finishing straight where I was a bit like, just don't think about it yet. Don't let that feeling, that emotion, that overwhelmingness come over because I honestly felt it was just going to cripple me, like just mm. stop me in my tracks and, um, and just have to wait till it's in my hand. And, and even when it was, there in my hand I think it was just such a surreal feeling that it probably just honestly took months for it to really truly actually sink in because it's you know there's euphoria and 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 and, um that you know it comes with all good races I guess but um it's just such a whirlwind afterwards that you almost don't have time and peace and quiet to really sit and think about it it's um it just becomes this completely surreal experience but yeah there's some definite key moments in there for me where I I really recall having the moment where you know could I think about it no don't go there don't go there the race is not over yet and um a bit exactly like four I said you know just Dan throwing her the curveball so she didn't you know let that feeling and that overwhelm um come over her Mm, I love that. I love the fact that you could have gone in the Olympics for the steeplechase as well, because I do remember you jumping over that that blue kind of a uh, it was a triangular kind of pylon. I remember, yeah, and just going where yes. where in the world does she come from? Because you just come up the steep hill and you're coming back into the straight. I was like, what? Yes. Where is she going? Yeah, I remember that. That was that was that was truly crazy. And if, yeah. if anybody seen me try to run hurdles on the track, you know that that's something that gives me heart palpitations. Anyway, without running, <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's a great little side bit to the whole story, though. All right, Nicola, you have been involved in all of these stories uh, since '08 with Emma's race, and then obviously your own, and then Gwen's and 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 Flora's. You've been somebody that has seemed to be playing a hand in every one of these Olympics, you realise you can't ever retire at this point because I don't think a women's Olympic triathlon would be the same without you. Um, but let's talk about it. When did you feel like you had it won in London? Because anybody that hasn't seen the London sprint finish for the women's uh, Olympic Games must go watch that right now on YouTube. It's one of the, the phenomenal sprint finishes. Um, but tell us about that. Yeah, well, my tactics were pretty simple. I knew I wasn't going to come out uh, in like among the first out of the swim, so I knew I would have a little gap there. Um, I would try to get to the first pack on the bike, um, get off the bike with the first girls, and then my run was pretty good. I knew Emma wasn't there. I was pretty amazed the Australians didn't select her for the for the, those Olympics. So. Mm, mm. I, I knew I would be among the best runners um, and the goal was just to stay with the first ones. And then we had trained for like a short, short sprint in the end because Brett was always saying, oh, the, the chance that there will be a sprint is really high. So after every hard training session, I had to sprint against the guys. <laughs> and so that was the tactics, just stay with the first girls and then do a hard sprint in the end, pretty easy. But um, 
as I said, the lead up was great, but then at the day, I actually didn't feel that good. Like I had signs of cramps already on the bike and getting off the bike and starting to run. I, I also just had those signs that the, the legs could cramp up and those signs were getting worse, like every turnaround or at every change of pace. So in the end, I was quite worried that I, if I would really um, count on a on a fast sprint in the end and this big change of pace, that this would mm-hmm. cause a real cramp and that there would be a chance I would have to stop like 100 meters before the <laughs> finish. <laughs> so I, cha- I changed my tactics and we were running along like five and then I think Helen dropped and we were four, four girls still running. And I changed my tactics and thought, okay, I have to, I have to just um, change the pace slowly and go faster, just bit by bit. And but of course, that wasn't really my strength, and it was a long, long sprint with it. Hmm. So yes, everyone who has seen the the sprint finish, um, it was really, really close in the end. And of course, yes, I didn't think, or I didn't feel, I had won until just the last little bit. I think every athlete has kind of a feel if he won or not, even if it's that close. You can mm. see that often in the in the bike races mm-hmm. where you as a spectator can't really tell who won, but there's still only one athlete raising their hands. So I did feel like I had won, but no, I wasn't sure. And of course, at the Olympics, you don't rely on your feelings. <laughs> and I was I was asking um, Lisa what she what she thought, and she said, "Well, I think you won, but I'm I'm really happy about second place." And I was like, "Yes, okay, she has the same feeling, but that still doesn't mean anything." Mm. So we had to wait about I think ten or fifteen minutes until they had seen the the video or the picture from the finish line and. They came to us and decided to won. <laughs> wow, <laughs> I love that. So you had an inclination that you had it won with about half a meter to go, and then you had to wait a good fifteen minutes, which must have felt like an eternity um, until you actually got the nod. I mean, that's yeah. pretty pretty incredible. I love that. Yeah, it was pretty crazy because I think, like at every Olympics, the the awards are right afterwards, so. We were, we were getting ready for the the award ceremony and we didn't know if who won, who was second, and we were just basically joking about it. And like the, the third girl said, oh, next time I'm, I'm getting a boob job, so I'm the fastest. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, we were, it, was, it was quite funny because we could just couldn't, like take it serious you're there mm. you're there at the olympics and you just don't know who won mm. i know i think i think that that has been passed around that joke a fair bit going you know whoever had had the boob job would have had an olympic gold or whatever it's like I, I love that i just think it's really fun that you're all kind of joking around and relaxed i mean you you're excited because you know you've got a medal um and, and you're kind of like well that was one tick way right? it's like okay one box picked but you're still probably a little bit anxious going 
I'd really like it to be the gold one. Um, and I, and yes. I do want to move that. That's kind of the next question I have for you all. And that is really, you know, that what was that first initial feeling you, you felt when you crossed the line or in your case, Nicola, when you realised you had won the gold medal? And, and Flora, I'm going to throw to you first on this one. So what was that first initial feeling you felt just crossing that line and, and realising you were the Olympic champion? Oh, man. Um, yeah, it's just such a mix range of emotions um obviously just excitement and joy and i mean definitely for me a lot of relief um i could definitely you know felt a lot of pressure leading into the race and um, particularly as i was Bermuda's first medal hope in like 40 years so um that was kind of something i knew and was weighing on me a bit and so to have you know executed in one was just yeah incredible and then, yeah, I mean, I don't know. You don't really know what to do. My, I guess my finish was <laughs> quite different from someone like, if you think like Nicola's of like, you know, photo finisher right there. Like I can imagine the intensity of that. And like, I guess in my finish, I was maybe lucky enough. I had, you know, the, the run into the blue carpet to the finish line to enjoy, even there's no crowd, which was strange. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, you cross the line and there's just cameras everywhere and you're, you're trying to take in this massive moment and, so I just thought, oh, if I lay down, I put my hands on my face. Maybe it just gives me like just a quiet, like 10 seconds to just be like, what just happened? Mm. I did it. Um, and then, yeah, it was really cool. And then I think, you know, to celebrate with Georgia finishing second and then Katie to finish third, both friends of mine. And uh, yeah, to just celebrate and hug them at the end. Yeah, this was really pretty, pretty special. And um, I don't know, just this huge range of, emotions and euphoria and can't believe that just happened <laughs> i love that i just want 10 seconds just to be on my own in my own little world so i'm going to put my hands over my face yeah. and just and just have this moment just give me 10 seconds everyone i think that's fantastic i really like that um all right next up emma um when you cross that line what were the feelings like i it was relief Honestly, just pure relief, I think. Um, yeah, it, it, as, as much as I, you know, explained before, the, the pressures of, you know, your internal pressure is one thing, but um, I, I guess, you know, in, in one way or another, I also did take on somewhat the, the pressures outside that you can, you know, you try not to listen to, but they are there and, um, and that, you know, the, the fact that the last few years had been going well and, and you didn't want to muck up the one big one. Um, and I think just that overriding sense of, yeah, a pure utter relief that, um, you got it right on the right day. And I was so fortunate to have my, um, my, some of my, my family, my mum and dad, and my sister, my auntie, my grade seven school teacher even even came across. Mm. Um, and I just, yeah, I remember, I think just being, well, kind of allowed, but I somehow got to them for a few seconds before I got pulled back into the grandstands um, uh, to give them a hug. And, and that's something that, you know, extremely special again, because, you know, you spend so many years traveling and traversing the world for your sport um and and it's so seldom that you get um you know family uh you know able to witness it live and watch it live so i think you know that was a special moment for me to 
also just to say thank you, you know, and thank you for allowing me to follow my dreams and, and just so happy that they were here to, to see it. I love that. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's one thing to <laughs> support it with your, your closest and your family and everybody else. Nicola, keep going on with your story about uh, once you heard the words, you're the gold medalist. I mean, because you yeah. didn't realise until afterwards. What was that feeling like? Yeah, I think very similar to, to Flora and Emma, relief is, is a big feeling, I think, afterwards. Just mm. that event so well on that day, um, the one day in four years. Mm. Um, and the same, uh, my family was there, my whole family, um, Rito, my husband was there. And to share it with them, to, to be able to say thank you, um, because I think that was one of the, like the second feeling, like just feeling thankful for all the help I had, all the support I had. Mm. I knew I would have never been able to do it without the team. And then just also like being proud. I I wasn't the, the first one like Flora, that must have been amazing, but um, it was also for Switzerland. Um, in the history of Switzerland, it was only the fourth Olympic gold medal of of a woman um, in Olympic Summer Games, mm. so it was really special for for us, for my country as well, and that was that was really cool. That is so cool. And and Gwen, for you, what was that feeling like for you as well? Was it relief? Was it joy? What was it? It was similar to everyone else. Um, you know, Emma, Emma, when she was talking, it I felt like that really resonated with me and. I got really emotional when I finished the cross the finish line. I was crying and a lot of it was relief, just echoing what these other ladies have said, but you put four years into one day and you can't predict that one day. And to actually show up on that day is pretty spectacular. And so a lot of relief. And then for me, I just remember being so thankful and wanting to get to um, my coach, Jamie and my husband, Patrick. And I remember they were barricaded off and like people were still running on the course and to get to them, I'd have to like cross the course and all the officials were trying to block me. And I was like, I just want to give them a hug and say, thank you. And um, I just, so I remember being a little bit frustrated, but the, the overwhelming emotions were joy, um, happiness and, and relief. Uh, I love that. <laughs> I love that you've just won the gold, but you still got to obey all the rules that everybody else has. And <laughs> I just want to give him a quick hug. But what I, I have one last question, and then we'll conclude and, and with, with final comments and, and a bit of general chit chat. And um, and and I and that is in particular. Um, I, I want to discuss how this gold medal has affected your life. Um, and when I had the Olympic men on Simon Whitfield, Hamish Carter, Jan Fredino, and Alistair Brownlee. There were some answers in there that kind of surprised me a little bit. And so I'm curious as to your thoughts on how the gold medals affected your life, both initially when you won the gold medal and um, the years later, months for you, Flora, but the years later for the rest of you, how it's affected you. And Emma, I'll throw to you first on this one. How how's that gold medal affected the rest of your life? Um, I think I, it, uh, I certainly wasn't like Flora because, you come home on an Australian plane and you're one of uh, numerous gold medalists and drive <laughs> on um, when you only win one compared to a swimmer that's coming home with five. Um, <laughs> you're, you're actually not that interesting. Um, and I think oh. maybe that's also part of the uh, Australian way, which 
I really don't mind. I think it's, um, you know, culturally where we're always, um, yeah, I think we're always somewhat a little bit simplistic in the way we, um, you know, we, we certainly applaud um, excellence, but I think in the same breath, we also acknowledge that, yeah, we're just everyday people. We are, we happen to excel in a sport and in, in, in a field um, and luckily a job, well, was a, a really good job um, <laughs> um, um, that we love and that you get to do every day. And I think, you know, that, that for me was, it's somewhat grounding, you know, that you come from such a strong nation um, of athletes uh, particularly in summer sports that you didn't feel like you were just one of a number of them, which, you know, rightly so. But I think for me, the, um, the biggest sense of um, gratefulness actually came when I went and decided to just do the Noosa Triathlon, which was the very first triathlon that I'd ever went to and, and was basically um, my hook. Uh, it was mm. the first time I went as a as a 16 year old as a swimmer and basically filling in for someone as a team. Um, and it was for me really important to to go back and do that race uh, that same year. And a lot of people questioned me as to you know why why it's you know it's pretty much just a local race. It's Australia and. I had this overriding sense of relief that I just wanted to say thank you to the Australian triathlon community for, you know, fostering and harboring our sport, um, for giving me a platform to follow my dreams, to be an Olympian, to become an Olympic champion. And um, I really felt that that was the time that I got the most out of maybe understanding myself the enormity of what I'd achieved because it's, it's, it is wonderful to share your story and explain it. But um, at the end of the day, you, you're sharing it with a, a, a people that, that also love this sport. And I think that has just always been something that I've carried with me um, wherever I go. And, and I, 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 I enjoy, um, you know, very seldom now telling my story and, and being an Olympic champion. And, um, but I, I also have come to probably acknowledge how special it is. Um, mm -hmm. and, you know, in the thick of things in the thick of your career and, um, and sometimes having a lot on your plate and, and not having the time to, uh, yeah, sit back and absorb it. And maybe it's just because it's so long ago now, um, <laughs> 2008, <laughs> that you, you come to, um, appreciate even more, um, some of the thoughts that I had at the time that, you know, you may only ever get to go to an Olympics if you literally and statistically put it down. What, what are the odds of going, um, first and foremost? And, and one, what are the odds of all the, these athletes that have come to an Olympic village and come away with the gold medal is even fewer. And I think for me, um, yeah, I think over a quite longer period of time, I would say, um, yeah, now I am more proud. And mm. now I like to share my story more so to inspire younger kids to um, follow their dreams. And no matter how crazy that may be to their parents or their teachers or <laughs> the, the people that they find themselves surrounded by, but 
um, I think the biggest part I take from it is that um, is that if you believe in what you want and you love what you do, um, then you know really anything's possible. And and I think that's become really apparent um, more so now with with the foundation and the kids and 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 being in a part of the world that's so unfamiliar to me as well, and realizing how privileged you know you are to grow up in a country that is so. Um, you know, so, such big advocates of sport and 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 a sport that is, you know, um, it's not your your soccer and or football, I should say. Um, and that for me, it's yeah, it's something that I carry around as um, a wonderful story, but something that I feel is important to share um, its mm. values more than necessarily the achievement and the outcome. Mm. So. Well, it's well said. That's, that's where I'm at for a wise old woman. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. And, I, and, and, and you said you didn't get to share your story as much. Well, I'm happy to listen to your story and celebrate with you, with you anytime that you want to. I'm always looking <laughs> for you, Emma. And next time we get to Girona or you guys come over here, we'll have a drink and we can retell how wonderful we both were. <laughs> Nicola, for you, how's that a gold medal affected your life, um, both initially and these years later? Um, yeah, for me, it's interesting to look back because before the race, all I wanted to do is just win those Olympics. That was my goal. I was really focused on that. And I didn't really want to change anything. I was I was happy. So once I won the gold, gold medal and every, everyone was asking, oh, what will change and what do you want to change? I was like, nothing. I, I'm really happy. I just wanted to win that race. <laughs> so, and, and, and my coach came to me and said, well, now you're the Olympic champion. Now you have a responsibility. Now you're an idol. You have to inspire other people. And I was like, well, that wasn't my, I, I never, I never thought about that. You know, I was just. That's not what I signed up for. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I was like, no, I just wanted to win that race. That was, it's pretty simple. <laughs> I don't want to change anything. And so it it did took me, it did, did take me a while to realize what it meant because as I mentioned before, for Switzerland, that was really special. And um I, yes, slowly I, I did realize that I yes, I could inspire other people and it was it was really emotional for me how many people came up to me and wanted to um, tell me their side of the story, mm. like how they lived my Olympics, um, mm. how they watched my race, where they watched my race, um, that they were on holidays and tried to find a TV and were watching the spring finish day, and it was it was really amazing, like. And and really nice for me to see how emotional they got about my Olympics, mm. and so yes, that's when I started to see that I could inspire people, that I should um, start a foundation and should start to to build up those kids races we do, just to, as Emma said, just to show kids that sports is really important, that you can learn so much for your life from sports. And I think that's what changed in my, in my kind of mindset to, mm-hmm. to realize I'm not just um, an athlete who wants to win anymore, but I, I am someone who can change 
other lives, even if I'm really happy with my own. And otherwise, I'm always laughing about that question, like, how did it change your life? And I'm always saying, well, three kids changed it way more than the <laughs> Olympic medal. So I've got to ask about that. <laughs> Yes, yes. That's nothing. That's nothing. I think that's great. I like that answer. Um, I, 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 I haven't won Olympic gold, but I do have a couple of kids, so I can appreciate that. And, yes, you can relate. And yes. Well, I can kind of relate. I still think you you mums are just superhumans um, in what you all go through. But I love that answer and, and thank you. And Gwen, how about yourself? Um, you know, we're, we're five years on now. How's that gold medal affected your life? Yeah, just as Nicola said, I, you know, you don't, nothing changes overnight. Um, we're still the same person um, and everything like that. But I think for me, one thing, you know, I had always planned, Patrick and I, I think we we're pretty vocal that, we, you know, after that Olympics, we wanted to have, start a family. Um, and we had Stanley and that wasn't, that was going to happen no matter if I won or not. Um, but I think, Winning gave me the the ability and desire to quit triathlon, um, and that allowed me then to pursue something that makes me even more happy, which is running. And that doesn't mean that I don't like triathlon or triathletes. And triathlon gave me so much. They. I was recruited into the sport of triathlon. I didn't even know there was Olympic triathlons when Emma, you were racing and won. Like I didn't even know, I didn't watch that at the Olympics. I didn't know that was an Olympic event. And so many people educated me and encouraged me when I thought, I just remember saying, Barb Lindquist was talking to me and I was like, there's no way I'm ever going to be an Olympian. I'm not that good. And I had so many people that were investing in me and believing in me through that time that it really has instilled in me to, to give back to the younger generation as well. And with just being known as Gwen Jorgensen, the Olympic gold medalist, it, it's allowed me, I think, to have a, a wider reach on making mm. an impact in communities. And so um, Patrick and I, we give back financially to a lot of uh, children's triathlon groups. Um, this year we're giving back to uh, TriMasters, which is out of Chicago. It's an inner city triathlon group. And uh, also go there and, and give my time. And we don't really do much publicly with that, but that's something definitely that I, that we do every year to a, to a different group. And it's something that I think is, has allowed me to give back to the sport of what they've given me. Mm -hmm. I, um, I want to touch on that. Uh, <clears throat> my niece, Kemper Reback was actually one of your, um, scholarship you gave out scholarships yep, a few yep. years ago um and you helped pay for her to get to races and some entry fees and and i don't know how many i think you did it to a dozen or so um and she was so excited you you know she's wanted i've known her since she was like five well, i've known her forever but since five or seven she um wanted to be a professional triathlete that's what she wanted and so the day that that I think it wasn't so much about the money. It was the fact that you recognized her, that you saw her, that you, you you thought that she had potential. And I think that was like, it's only just added, you know, more fuel to the fire for, for yeah. temper. You know, we say that we do this, or I say, you know, that we do this to give back to the sport, but in reality, it makes me so happy. Um, the mm -hmm. kids that we do give to, you know, they're always so gracious and they send pictures, you send them old kids, you know, just stuff that, 
we would never use. And it just the joy that it brings them uh, brings me joy as well. So yeah, I mean, that's just something that I think um, it's allowed me to have a, a wider reach and inspire younger kids to continue to do triathlon and something they love. And that's something that has changed my life and made me just, when you give you, it does, it just makes you, mm. I think it's ha- like, it's a selfless thing, but it's also selfish because mm-hmm. we do get a lot of joy from it. No, that's well said. I couldn't agree more. That's fantastic. And selfishly, I'd love you to be back in our sport of triathlon once you've had your fun with running. <laughs> Come on back. I'm just kidding. You can do what you want, but selfishly, we do miss you. Um, and I mean, all your fans, there's a lot of fans that are still triathletes that watch you in the running world as well. And we do wish you the very best there. Um, Flora, I want to move on to you. Now, we're talking months for you. You touched on it earlier in the show that you're heading back to Bermuda. When this, when this, Once this show is uploaded, you'll actually be in Bermuda, but you leave on Monday. Um, but I am curious, just this, uh, let's just go over that again, some of the initial feelings um, of what, uh, how it's affected your life. Yeah, so I'm only, I guess, maybe two months or so um, mm. into owning an, an Olympic title. Um, so for me, I'm definitely still in the surreal stage of like, did that really happen? Like, um, and hasn't, I don't know, really sunk in. I think it'll start to maybe hit me when I get to Bermuda and, um, you know, that's where I started doing triathlon. And, you know, maybe when I go visit the beach that I, that I, um, grew up doing all of my triathlon races on and, uh, you know, see photos of me when I was eight years old and, then, you know, here I am, I just turned 34 and, you know, completed my lifelong dream of being an Olympic champion. And so I think, yeah, that could be quite an emotional moment and hopefully allows it to sink in a bit. And um, yeah, I think the biggest surprise is, I mean, you prepare so much for the race and you just want to execute a great race and, and hopefully medal and hopefully win the gold medal. And, um, and then you do, and no one really can prepare you for the after. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, that's been the most surprising and shocking is just how far and wide the Olympics reaches. Like, you know, just people that don't know me at all and how invested, I mean, as Nicola touched on it, they got into, how invested they got into your Olympic race and your Olympic performance, your Olympic buildup. And, um, and this is like, you know, across like the world. And it's just been like wild to see that reaction. And I think, for me, I'm a pretty private person and quite an introvert. So it definitely is quite overwhelming for me to hear all of that. Cause I'm just, it's just like, I'm like, well, but why? I mean, it's just me. I'm just, I don't know. I just did swim back and run, but I think that's just like the power of the Olympics, right? It's just mm-hmm. this massive platform and you win a medal there and you suddenly have that platform, which is incredible. And you can do such great things with that. And I really hope you know, I can and build and have a positive impact as that Emma, Nicola and Gwen have had in their communities. Um, but yeah, I think for me, it's just still kind of, you know, grappling with, with all that's kind of come with it and um, allowing that to sink in and uh, yeah, decide kind of where I want to go to next. And um, yeah, I think, yeah, it'll be really great to be back in Bermuda and uh, to see how much it's meant there has been really pretty incredible and very special. So it'd be nice to, to go in and, and, and soak all of that up. But then I can also say on the other hand, being here in Boulder and Greg, you'll get this. I fly back from the Olympics 
And I go for a like a couple of days later, I'm like, okay, let me get myself out the door. So I joined some, some guys for a long run and I won't say their names, but I turn up, they're like, oh yeah, cool. Congrats, Flora. Great race. Now, so Boulder 70.3. Let's talk about that. We <laughs> needed to talk about that for the next like 75 minutes. And I was like, oh, this is so Boulder. And it's actually so perfect for me right now. Um, so it's just such a weird contrast, right? Mm. Um, yeah, you did yeah. your job. Okay, good on you. Okay, next. What about us? Again? <laughs> exactly. It's not about you anymore. It's back to me. You know, yeah. I was like, hang on a minute. We can spend a little bit more time. On <laughs> it took this. me 26 years of dreaming and making <laughs> yeah. something reality, and we're just going to swipe over it in 26 seconds. Uh, yeah. That's great. And well, look, all of you, I'm just so impressed with all of you. I, I truly am a huge fan, um, and I like to think of you all as good friends. I'm I, the, the key difference between this episode and the men has been just how focused you all are on giving back to your communities. And the men, not saying the men haven't, but that's been a real priority for you guys. And I, I think that's a, it's just really cool. Um, and so congrats to all of you again. This is really fantastic, everybody. So Emma, Nicola, Gwen, Flora, what a thrill. Thank you so much for your time. And just sharing all your journey and, and, and your success and um, and the way it affected your life. I really appreciate all of you for coming on. So thank you. Thank you too. Yeah. Thanks, thank Greg. Yeah, it was thank- great to talk to all the other women and they're always inspiring and it's fun to hear what's going on with all of them. So yeah, thanks for having us all. Oh yeah. You're more yeah. than welcome. What a thrill. We need to do this again. Next time we'll all sit down and have a glass of wine and, and share stories. Um, but thank you for everybody for listening uh, and sharing the show and all the feedback. You can find the show notes, timestamps, links, and coupon codes at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. Thanks a lot for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.